Hey, uh, it's Grad Sunday, and part of Grad Sunday is every year we have our youth pastor, Brett Vriesman, come up and preach. And if you're wondering, why are two of us doing it? Well, when we decided to do this, we thought we were going to be doing this online. And to let Brett preach to an empty room felt cruel. So this is what we did instead, and so it worked. The other thing, if you're wondering, well, where's Pastor Chuck at? Well, Pastor Chuck has a student that is graduating high school, and we figured that student didn't want him preaching at her for this. So he's not up here for that as well. Well, this Sunday is always one of the, the most exciting and bittersweet for me. It's exciting because I, I get to come up here and, and speak to my graduates and speak to all of you. And it's also kind of sad because it kind of marks the end of an era. This, as you saw, is a huge graduating class of students, and we've had a ton of memories together. We've done Hume Lake, tons of paintball, belly flop contests, we've, we've uh, <laughs> all-nighters, uh, youth group messages, all sorts of just great times together, and I'm truly going to miss them, but I'm excited that the world gets them now. Uh, it's been a weird couple of months, and... I really feel for them because they didn't really get the, the traditional graduation experience. So I'm, I'm excited that we can honor them this morning. Can you guys give them just one more round of applause? That's, that's a great group of kids. Well, where we want to go now is we're going to go ahead and pray for our graduates. I think we have enough of them in the room. I didn't tell them I was going to do this. But graduates, <laughs> would you mind standing up? Graduates, Jack Nelson, I see you. I'll call you out, guys. Let's see. Yeah, if you're a graduate, can you stand up? I know there's some not standing up because they're embarrassed. It's a slow That's rise okay. here. It's a slow yeah, rise. It's great. <laughs> but um, I'd love just to pray for you right now. God, I want to thank you so much for this group of students graduating this year. I, I pray that you continue to work in their lives. I know my life has been so blessed over the last seven years to be able to, to be a part of their lives. Uh, thank you for your faithfulness and for everything that you've, you've done in their lives. I pray that you continue to, to help them make you the, the focus of what they do. Help them keep their faith through the, through the difficult times in this next chapter of life and let them be a light to the world. We know they have, you have amazing things in store for them. We just pray that they uh, keep you at the center of that while that happens. We love you, God, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So over the years, I've come to learn that there are some graduation necessities. And normally, under different circumstances, you, you have the ceremony, you've got the grad party, you've got uh, grad presents, mm -hmm. all those types of things. But with everything being a little bit different, we, we don't get to experience those as much. So what I made is a little list of graduation experience necessities that maybe all these students can still feel and be a part of, but it, it's not necessarily the, the tradition. Uh, the first necessity is to be a graduate, you have to have a white poster board full mm -hmm. of pictures and memories. It's a need. You it's have to do it. You have to do it. Uh, the second is you need to make sure that you're given an Oh, the Places You Will Go book by mm. Dr. Seuss, mm -hmm. uh, preferably signed by, by, teachers. Uh, by teachers. By teachers, you have to have ones. that. Uh, you need to be given a book full of wisdom that you know you're never going to read That's the important, thing. too. 
And then uh, lastly, you need to have this gift that you don't even know what it is yet, but about 10 years down the road, you realize it was the best gift that you were ever given. For me, I got a towel that said Brett 2006 on it, <laughs> and I never lost that towel or it never got stolen in college. And it, I actually had to get rid of it a year ago because my son threw a baseball, no, a rock through a window, and we used it to clean it up. So bittersweet ending for well, that towel. You missed one. There is also, there's a graduation t-shirt oh. that magically shrinks as you get older. <laughs> I don't know what happens. That. I know all about that. But there's also a Bible verse that is somewhat of a graduation necessity. I'm sure you've all heard it before. In fact, many times it's referred to as the graduation verse. Can I, on the count of three, have you yell out what Bible verse you think it might be? One, two, three. You oh, guys. Yes. We've you guys. Some experienced graduate people. <laughs> um, and uh, on its own, it's a great verse. It's a perfect verse for graduation. It talks about hope and future and God's plan for us. But if we dive into what surrounds it, we can actually find a greater meaning uh, within it. And because this year's graduation is a little bit out of the, the norm, we're going to go ahead and get a little cliche, a little more familiar with our passage of the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so our scripture reading this morning is going to be found in Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 14. If you have a Bible on hand or you just have your phone, you can go ahead and open up there with us. You can do that as well if you are online. Our scripture reader this morning is going to be none other than the Leanne Swoboda. So Leanne, you can head on up when you're ready. And folks, what we do here when we read scripture together is we stand for the reading of God's word. For those of you who are online, that is true for you as well. Go ahead and hop up off the couch and you can join us this morning. So Leanne, when you are ready, take it away. For, for I know the plans for you. I, I, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and, to, and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Good job, Leanne. You may take a seat, folks. So uh, one of the greatest feelings in life is that moment when, when we're away from home for days or weeks or sometimes longer, and then we find ourselves home again and we walk through the front door. Like that moment where we had that vacation or that great trip or that business meeting or whatever it may have been, and we were gone for a while, and you come in the front door and you sit on your couch and it's just the best feeling ever. If you had that moment, there's the moment where you've been away and you've been sleeping in hotel beds that are maybe nicer than your own bed. Then you get home to old faithful lumpy bed and you lay in that thing and you're like, this is it. I'm home. I love this. We've all had that experience before, haven't we? This thing called home is a really big deal for us. Um, and our scripture reading this morning is really, it's all about home. It's about leaving home and coming back home again. But what is it exactly about home that is such a big deal for us? Like, like what exactly does home even um, mean for us? You know, what's interesting is we have a ton of phrases in our culture that we use around home. We have um, home-style cooking, right? Homemade chocolate chip cookies. Homemade chocolate chip cookies. Thank you, Lori V. Um, 
feeling homesick, we feel homesick, making yourself at home at somebody else's home. Um, that statement hit close to home for me, we say. Then there's this one, until the cows come home. I don't even know what that means. Somebody actually, after first service, tried to explain it to me, and I still don't get it. So if you've got it, you can let me know. We have all these phrases, and then we have these, these really sentimental, meaningful, like right at the heartstrings phrases, too, about home, right? And, and we take these phrases, and we write them on, you know, pallet wood, because that's what you write it on, and then you stick it in your house. Like, we all do this, don't we? We have, home is where the heart is. It's beautiful. And it gets us every time we hear that. Home, sweet home. Oh, it's good. It's like a Hallmark movie to me, you know? Um, this is my favorite one. Home is wherever I'm with you. Oh, yeah. You high schoolers, you're graduating, and you're like, I got to get married. Find the person, say, home is whenever I'm with you, and boom, married, like right away. That's how it works. That's how Beck and I got married. I promise you, it works. It's not true, actually. It's not how it worked at all. Um, and see, these phrases we use about home we use because there's actually a nugget of truth in them, isn't there? Home is always about more than place. It's always more than a location or geography. Home is more than that for us. Home has this, has this relational connotation to it for us. It has to do with the people that surround us. Home is about people as much as it is about place. Now, now what does all this have to do with Jeremiah 29, our scripture reading this morning? Well, it actually has a lot to do with it. You see, if we were to zoom out a bit from Jeremiah 29, 11, there's, there's a story going on in the scriptures, like, and we're in the midst of it. Um, the Israelites, they were a people with a land. They were a people with a home. And because of all kinds of bad things that they did, like sin and betrayal and idolatry and injustice, just to name a couple of them, they lose their land, they lose their home, and they head off in exiles. Um, the Babylonians, they sweep in and they defeat Israel, they sack Jerusalem, they burn it to the ground, and they take a huge number of Israelites and they send them off to Babylon to live as exiles in a foreign land. Now, if you have your Bible, there's actually a couple of verses right before our scripture reading this morning that talks about what God wants us to do or wants these Israelites to do as they head off into this other land far, far away from home. If you have your Bible, take a look at Jeremiah 29, looking in, uh, starting in verse 5 here. God says, okay, you're exiles. You're, you're not home anymore. Here's what I want you to do. Listen to this. It says, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may be sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper, the Lord says. Now if you were to read this just real easily, I think the way we would interpret this is God says, okay, you've been kicked out of your home, you found yourself in exile in a foreign land, and here's what I want you to do. Ready? I want you to build a home where you're at. Right? I want you to build a home where you're at. It is the Israelites' job to create a new home, away from home. Yeah. And as uh, verse 5 says, it says, to build houses, settle down, and plant gardens. Um, 
just like John said, the exiled Israelites are, are supposed to be leaving a home to build new homes and create new lives for themselves. And graduates, I think that all of you are in the same boat. You're all ready to go build a new life for yourself. And maybe for some of us that have been graduated for quite some time, we've been trying to build a life for ourselves this, this entire time. And one of the common cliches we call it is pursuing the American dream. And after graduation, we set out to find that perfect home. We go after that great job. We find Mr. or Mrs. Wright. We have a beautiful children, a nice car, a purebred dog, mm. maybe a, a, yeah. a labradoodle. I, I would actually say it's a husky poo now. Husky poo is what's saying. We just got but, one. Uh, anyways, we, we look for that big promotion to work, and we do all these things in an attempt to find our new home, to build our new home, which is all good because that's what God is asking us to do. But it's important that in the pursuit of finding our home, we don't get distracted or misinformed as to what home truly is. And in Jeremiah uh, chapter 29, verses 8 and 9, Jeremiah addresses that same issue to the Israelites. If you want to turn with me to verses 8 and 9, it says this. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the Lord, uh, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Now, the lies that the prophets and the diviners were saying were affecting the Israelites' ability to establish a home. What they were doing is telling them that their exile would just be temporary, maybe only a couple years, and then you'd be able to kind of get back to life as normal. Uh, in essence, they were prophets of prosperity. They were telling them that uh, if they would just you know, sit tight, things would be all right. There's a detail in verse 8 that's very insightful. It says that, uh, do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. This was interesting because it puts some of the blame on the Israelites. They directly or indirectly were the ones who were deciding what they wanted to call home. And as we pursue our home, we face a similar struggle. We, choose, tend, we tend to choose what influential voices we want to listen to to, call, to tell us what home is. And it's important that as we do that, we need to pay attention to who is influencing us. Now, maybe uh, it's a famous couple from Fixer Upper, Chip and Joanna Gaines. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. I, uh, I definitely didn't know much about Shiplap until I watched that show, mm -hmm. Farm Sinks. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, I love them. Yeah. But what's the Farm Sink is the thing, right? Isn't the Farm Sink the, the big one? I think so. But, it is. Uh, Pallet wood is also something that I learned from them, and it really affected me deeply. <laughs> and we also get influenced by sitcoms, by commercials, by just whatever we view the middle-class America dream. And it's important that as we remember, uh, as we work towards building our homes, that we uh, remember that the, there are good and moral people trying to lead us, but if we take too much stock into what they're selling, we can find ourselves getting in some trouble. Who or what today are prophets who are prophesying prosperity in our lives? You know, even kind of regardless of who they happen to be, when it comes to whatever the vision that we think a home is in our lives, whoever feeds us uh, whatever that vision may be, um, for many of us, 
if we're honest, like we're actually pretty good at fulfilling whatever that vision is, right? We're not bad at this. Like, we can get the wife and the statistically right amount of kids. What is it right now? 1.5 or something like that, right? We can get that. Um, we can get the career with the right mix of responsibilities and opportunities and financial incentives, all that stuff. We can buy the house of our dreams. We can get the car. We can have the toys. We can have all the stuff. We can play the retirement game exactly as we're supposed to play it and do it really, really well if we try hard at it. And we can have the right group of friends. We can have the right stability of our family circle, right? Everyone can get along in just perhaps the right way. We can live, folks, debt-free. It's a big deal. Like, we can do that if we want to. We're not bad at these things. But then there's this reality, and it's true for all of us. It pops up into our lives at one point or another. If it hasn't for you, it will. I can promise you. You see, we can get all these things. We can play the game correctly. We can make our dreams come true. We can build home exactly as we imagined it. And then at the end of the day, we'll have this moment of arrival where we realize, oh, wait, like for some reason we're not quite home yet. What's that all about? Somehow I've done all these things and, and I haven't built the perfect home yet. And, and maybe I need to do more. Maybe I need to accomplish more. Maybe I need to gain more. I need to do something else to make this thing a home that I'm trying to get for myself. I mean, it's exactly like our scripture passage this morning. The Israelites, they're in exile. They're in Babylon. And God says, build a home. And I imagine they did a pretty good job of that. They had the kids they got married. Their kids got married. They built the garden. They prayed for the city. They did all the things that they're supposed to do. And yet the Israelites knew deep down in their psyche there was a deeper truth going on. And they'd never be able to shake what that truth was. No matter how well they did what God told them to do, no matter how successful they maybe were, no matter how up in, high in society they got, no matter how great a parents they became, deep down there was a harsh reality that was always going to be there, and the reality is this. You ready? They're not home. They're not home. They're in Babylon. They're, they're exiles. They're not home. And we come to these realizations too. And, and what do we do? when we realize this for ourselves, that we're just not quite home yet. Well, it's kind of cliche what happens in our culture when we realize these things, right? We have the big midlife crisis. We buy the big shiny red car, right? The sports car with the spoiler. We, we buy these things. We walk away from our marriage after 30 years. And everyone around us is like, I had never saw that coming. Um, our friends, we see that moment where it just seems like something has changed in them and there's a new instability about them and we can't quite put our finger on what in the world it is. They just aren't making decisions like they did before. And it's all because we thought we were building a home and we realized we're still not home. Yeah. And there's a reason why no matter how hard we try, we never seem to, to make it home. And that's because our lives mimic the lives of the Israelites in exile. On a, on a greater scale, we're all just exiles in a foreign land. Instead of our exile being from Israel, ours is from being in God's presence. We'll never truly be home till we find ourselves with God in heaven. And heaven is home because that's where God is. 
As John said earlier, there's something about home that allows us to let our guard down, to kick our feet back, and let the worries of our day disappear. I think the word peace comes to mind, right? When we get home, in a perfect world, when we get home, there's there's an element of peace that comes upon us. And when I, I know when I go home, I usually feel most at peace when I get to hang out with my family. Whether that looks like playing guys with my little boy Jack, which is action figures, or uh, <laughs> playing Wii Mario Kart with Ben, or maybe net, binge-watching some Netflix with my wife, I feel most relaxed and most at peace when I'm just home with them. You know, for me, it's when I'm playing WWE on the trampoline with the boys. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. I don't have to play that. My boys just do it by themselves. So... Um, <laughs> But there's a peace about home. And the thing about heaven, about being with God, is there's an even greater peace. And there's a word we talk a lot about in Christian circles called shalom. I'm sure a lot of you have heard that word. And it means peace, but it's a deeper peace. It means a peace that makes one feel wholeness, completeness. And uh, it's really the epitome of what home is supposed to feel like. And when we are with God... That is the feeling that we get. The ultimate feeling of peace. So as good as it feels to be here on earth and try to build our homes, it's not going to compare to what home feels like when we are with God in heaven. But like the Israelites, God doesn't want us to just sit back and uh, wait for us to, to go there. He wants us to build a home in our exile until we find our true home. Yeah, we're, we're never going to feel like we're home, not completely at least, until Jesus returns. It's just not going to be a reality for us. But at the same time, even though we're, we're awaiting that thing to happen, God does give us glimpses of that right now, the glimpses and tastes of what that home is going to be like. I, I love, there's a passage in our scripture reading um, in Jeremiah, it's verse 13 if you want to look. It's this great line that that God gives to the Israelites. It's such a hopeful line about home. Listen to this. It says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your hearts. See, what it's telling us here is that that home, it's not necessarily about a place. It's about the people or person that were in that place with. You know, for the Israelites, they're in exile. They're, they're in Babylon. They're really far away from home, and they just want to get back to their own land, right? If I could just get back to the land that I was promised, then I'm going to be home. But it was actually more than that, and maybe they didn't even realize this. It wasn't necessarily that they're going to go back to the land someday. It was who they're going to go back to the land someday to meet there. They're going to meet the Lord there. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. True home is found when we are with the Lord, when we are with Jesus. And you know what that means? It means that when we find ourselves in those moments of chaos, anyone feeling that at all? Um, When we find those moments where we just feel alone or disconnected or, or all the bad stuff, in the middle of that, we know that we can still taste home because Jesus makes himself present to us right now in our lives. God is saying, seek me and you will find me. I'm the true home that you're looking for. You know, in the Gospels, there's just a ton of stories that really make sense of all of this home stuff. You know, there's this story 
of the demon-possessed man. We've all, we've all heard this story before, right? There's this man, he has multiple demons inside of him, a whole legion of demons. And Jesus shows up on the scene and this man is ostracized. He has no community. No one's going to bat for this guy. And Jesus shows up on the scene and he miraculously casts out the demons and heals the man. And it's this amazing moment. But I think what's even more amazing about the moment is what it illustrates for, for us in this moment. You have the demon-possessed man, and Jesus says, hey, you've been healed. Now, you know, like, go home now. I've got a head on my way. And what does this demon-possessed man say in response to Jesus leaving? Listen to this. This is Luke 8, 38. It says, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. Begged to go with him. Why? Well, because because. Being with Jesus is being home. And he didn't want to be anywhere else in that moment. You see? If you're feeling, maybe you're feeling like, man, I am far from home these days. Like there is no semblance of that. I think a good question to ask is, well, are you with Jesus right now? Are you practically with Jesus right now? Are you seeking him and finding him right now? For all of us here, there is this common pattern to seeking Jesus in our lives. We often find ourselves with a taste of home, following Jesus, doing our best on a, on a high right, of following Jesus, and then we get distracted and we start to wander. And after we wander, we start to look for home elsewhere. But then something happens and we find our way back to Jesus and we start seeking Jesus and we start finding home only to keep going in this cycle. And that's okay. That, that's kind of how we work as human beings. If you look in the, in the Bible, the disciples routinely uh, fail with Jesus over and over again, where you'd think they would have gotten the point, but they miss it. And that's just who we are. In the Bible, we're compared to sheep quite often. And when I was able to go with John to Israel uh, f about four years ago, mm -hmm. there was a great lesson we learned about the nature of a sheep and, and a shepherd. And the nature of a sheep is that they were built to follow. They were built to follow. And what happens is we have this shepherd, Jesus, who we're meant to follow. But we also easily follow other things. But Jesus is always there. Oftentimes, all we have to do is turn around, and he'll be right there for us. Regardless of how off course we may think we get, it's important to remember in our struggle, in this cycle of seeking Jesus and following him, that, that we know that we can, at any point, reach our hand out, and Jesus will grab it, and he'll take us back. Right now might be a good gut check time to look at where we are in this cycle of seeking Jesus? Do you find yourself with him, getting glimpses of home on the regular? Are you starting to wander? Or maybe you're just coming right back around to seeking him again. Maybe it's time to, to come home. So it's graduation Sunday um, where we get to celebrate our students as they step out and they head off to college or they step out of college and they head off to whatever's next for them. Um, grads, right now, 
you are going to do a lot in your life that looks a lot like our passage. You're going to want to build a home. You're going to want to get married. You're going to want to plant gardens. You're going to want to have kids. You're going to want to pray for the city. You're going to want to do all those things, right? And you're going to want to do them all really, really well. But don't lose sight of the really important stuff. None of those things is going to give you the home that you think you're looking for. Home is found in Jesus. And that's it. So pursue your faith with everything you got. Pursue Jesus. You know, you're going to have to do it this time without mom and dad around. It's a different reality, right? Don't get distracted. Seek a friendship with the Lord. Seek the Lord and you will find him. You know, if you're leaving this area and you're headed off to school or wherever you may be going, look for a group of people that are pursuing Jesus and seeking after him. Find that group and be a part of it. It's really critical for you to do so. And then there's the rest of us, uh, where high school was a really long time ago, <laughs> for at least some of us, 15 years for me this year. Many of us, others, we, we've been down this path before. We've been doing this life thing for a while. We've been trying to build a home the right way for a while. And many of us, we've achieved a lot. We've lost a lot. We've pursued our dreams. We've gained them. We've lost them. All of it. We've done the whole thing. But perhaps... God is calling on you in this particular season to do life a bit differently. Perhaps God is inviting you to seek him and search him out and find him and find true home, right? Maybe, maybe it's time for you to just actually buy into this faith thing, to really just go for it, to leave the Sunday morning faith thing behind and make it a week-long faith Thing, right? To make faith the priority in life. And Jesus, in the middle of all that, I promise you, Jesus will be found. He will. And you'll be home. Maybe, maybe it's time to come home. Yeah. I want to wrap up this morning by going back to where we started, good old Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and future. In our pursuit of home, we can apply this to our lives in a ton of different ways. It gives us security as we build homes in our exile. But what makes me most excited about this verse is what it means for our eternity. At the end of the passage, it says that the Lord has plans to give us hope and future. The Hebrew words are a hope and an end. And together, they make a word that, I'm not going to lie, the whole week I was trying to get the pronunciation right. And we're really excited to hear and you I say actually, this I word. I think I got it now. It's henditis. Uh, <laughs> henditis is how it's said. Henditis. And henditis is a literary term for the expression of a single idea that two words make uh, with and in the middle of it. And this subtlety transforms the meaning of this passage. Instead of reading out its plans to give you hope in a future, it changes it to plans to give you a hopeful end. What's so profound about this subtlety is that now the passage is less about prosperity in our lives, and it's more about going home and the promise that God has for those of us who seek Jesus. He promises a hopeful end. 
And it's going to be a killer welcome home party. So graduates and congregation, as we build our homes in exile, let's make sure that we seek first Jesus as we navigate to our true home in eternity with God in heaven. Let's pray. Amen. God, we thank you for being able to gather here this morning and to, to get in your word. I pray that you'll please be with all of us as we, as we leave today. Help us to take seriously what you teach us. Help us to seek Jesus first and to take confidence knowing we have a hopeful end. Please be with these graduates as they head off to the next chapter of their lives. Um, continue to let them seek Jesus first and uh, let TFRC be just a giant light in our community. We love you so much, God, and it is in your holy name we pray. Amen.